are at Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36, and the title of today's message is The Surrender. The Surrender. This is important because we've reached the place in the Passion Week or in the Holy Week now where we're going to talk about prayer, the prayer that took place at the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is not any kind of prayer. I want you to know that. This is a prayer that is pleasing to the Lord. This is a prayer that is pleasing to the Lord. And if we pay attention, if we slow down this week and we start to study all the events that took place on that last week before Jesus took the cross, we are going to notice that the entire Passion Week is filled with prayer. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that in the Lord's Supper there was prayer? It said that He broke the bread and He gave thanks. He prayed. Also, when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, there's prayer there again, where he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Prayer at the Garden. And then when he goes to the cross, there's also prayer at the cross when he says, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The entire Passion Week, from beginning to end, is filled with prayer. And we must be very careful that we do not neglect prayer in this time. In fact, if, if we come out of this season that we're in right now, this stay at home, this safe at home, this quarantine season, you can call it whatever you desire. But if we come out with the same prayer life in which we enter this season, then this entire time was just a waste of time. And I want to encourage you because it's so important that we take that time that God has given us during the season and that we utilize it to enter into prayer. In fact, what do you, have you been doing with the extra time that God has given you? It's too easy to say, you know what, I'm going to work on a project, I'm going to remodel, I'm going to work on this or work on that. But the best projects, the best remodels start from the inside out with your prayer life. You want to work on something around the house? Work on the prayer life. Work in the prayer room. Work in the prayer closet because that's the, the space in your house that needs some rebuilding. That needs some remodeling. That needs some rearranging the prayer closet. It was E.M. Bounds that said this, Of all the duties enjoined by Christianity, none is more essential and yet none is more neglected than prayer. None is more essential, yet none is more neglected than prayer. I like that he uses that word essential. Because today we're using the word essential a lot. What is essential? Who are essential workers? What are essential businesses? We have to be very careful as a church that we know how to discern the difference between the essential and the non-essential and know where prayer lands. Because prayer is essential. And if you, you love taking notes, I, I encourage you to write in your Bible, prayer is essential. Because Jesus taught us how to pray in the secret here at the Garden of Gethsemane. And not only is this the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the place of surrender. It's the place of anointing. It is, it is in the secret place now that God reveals now His heart to people. You want revelation from God, then you have to visit Gethsemane in this Passion Week. It is in prayer that God gives you revelation. He gives you insight. He gives you counsel. He gives you comfort. He gives you wisdom. He gives you the anointing. Gethsemane is where Christ found the power to carry the cross. 
You want to know why a lot of people are no longer carrying the cross even at the churches? Because they're not praying. It is impossible to carry the cross without prayer. You cannot do it. In fact, Jesus knew that if He was going to carry the cross, He first must, it was mandatory, that He go to prayer. There's no way that we daily try to carry the cross without prayer. In fact, the purpose of prayer, notice this, the purpose of prayer is that you would learn to submit and to surrender to the plan of God. What is the purpose of prayer? You would ask, is this so that I can give God a, a, a to-do list? <laughs> that I can let the Lord know my feelings? No, the purpose of prayer is so that you learn to submit and to surrender to the plan of God. And this is pleasing to the heart of God. When you're learning to submit and to surrender, this is pleasing to the heart of God. Because not every prayer is pleasing to God. Notice that. Only the surrendered prayer is pleasing to God. Only the surrendered prayer. Because the surrendered prayer puts your heart and your home in divine order. And I want to ask you before we go into the study today, is your house, is your heart in divine order? You know what? You want to know what divine order is? It means that it, it is controlled by God, by the Holy Spirit, your home, your heart. And that can only happen through prayer. Through understanding, to knowing the heart of God, to understanding the revelation that God has for you in surrendered prayer. It is true surrender that happens at the presence of God. You can't say, well, I've surrendered to the Lord, but I never spent time in prayer. In fact, true surrender only happens when you understand the will of God. He gives you peace and you're able to say, Lord, I surrender to you. Your will, not my will be done. Your plans, not my plans. A lot of the times we're struggling with the will of God. Are you struggling with the will of God today? Because maybe you're struggling because you don't understand the events that are taking place around you. But if you're struggling with the will of God for your life, and this is something very common for people, they struggle with God's will for their lives. They struggle with it in prayer. You want to struggle? Struggle in prayer. You want to wrestle with something? Then take it into prayer and wrestle with it in prayer. Because we're going to see that Jesus agonized and He wrestled at Gethsemane. And that's okay. Because that's where you have strength to go on. That's where you will have strength to go on. Notice this. I'm going to give you three major points before we even go to the study about how to discover the will of God in prayer. About what we discover here through the Garden of Gethsemane when it comes to prayer. Number one, prayer gives you vision for the will of God. If there is something that we need today is vision for the will of God. And you only have vision for the will of God in prayer. Prayer will give you vision for the will of God. That's exactly why Jesus here at the Garden of Gethsemane aligned himself to the will of God. It was in prayer. Prayer gives you vision for the will of God. Number two, prayer also does this. Prayer gives you strength to guard against temptation. Prayer gives you strength to guard against temptation. There is a lot of temptation taking place. There is the temptation now of losing the discipline to pray. There is a temptation of becoming lazy during this season. There is a temptation of spiritual apathy and coldness during this season. But prayer now gives you the strength to guard against any type of temptation in your life. And if you are being tempted and tried and tested, then go into prayer. And number three, prayer prepares you. 
And I, and I want to say that word again, prepares you, because it does. Prayer prepares you to carry the cross. Are you carrying your cross? Are you carrying your cross? Because everybody wants to talk about success. But nobody wants to talk about surrender. And surrender, what it means, it means that you're going to give up. You're going to give up your will. You're not going to be stubborn. You're not going to be self-willed. You're not going to be prideful. You're going to be obedient. This is the garden of Gethsemane. This is the garden of surrender. This is the garden of fellowship. This is the garden of obedience. And if you've never been there or you haven't been there in a while, I, I, I recommend that this week that you spend time in there and do not get out until you know the will of God. Because there is nothing better than spending time with the Lord at the garden of surrender, at the garden of fellowship, at the garden of obedience. We say, Lord, I want to understand your plan for my life. I want your will for my life. I want the garden of surrender. And it's going to require of me three things. This garden, the garden of Gethsemane, it requires that you become vigilant. That you stay alert. It requires that you stay awake. And Jesus is going to tell His disciples there to be vigilant. But also the garden of surrender requires that you be submitted. Surrender means to submit. And also surrender means that you are also in prayer. In prayer now. This garden is so important for us as a Christian, as men and women of God, because it's the place of no compromise. It's where you relinquish every hint of disobedience, of pleasure, and of rebellion. And you say, Lord, I want to submit to your will. You know what it's not? You know what this place is not? You see, the Garden of Surrender, the Garden of Gethsemane, is not a place of gratification. It's a place of growth. It is not the place of gratification. It's the place of growth. And if you want to grow, you will go to that place. The place of surrender, the place of submission. It's the place that will prepare you for the test that's going to come. And the man and the woman of God, we as a church cannot, must not fail at Gethsemane. Because if we fail at Gethsemane, we fail at everything else. Because that's where our prayer life is found. The battle at the cross was already won in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Notice that Jesus is going to the cross. And the battle of the cross was won at the garden because Jesus said, I'm submitted, Father. The battle was already won. Jesus said, your will, not my will, we done. That's where the battle started to become won right there. Because Christ was submitted there. Notice there was two major gardens in the Bible. It was the Garden of Eden and then the Garden of Gethsemane. What did the Garden of Eden do for you? It separated you from fellowship with God. But the Garden of Gethsemane instituted now or reinstated fellowship with God. It was two major gardens. And that's why we see here in Matthew 26 verse 36 that Jesus is going to enter now into the prayer closet, into the Garden of Gethsemane, and He's going to tell us now how important it is to be here. Let's go ahead and read here, verse 36. It says, And then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here 
will I go and pray over there? We could spend all night talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's a very important place. It said that he went there, it says, with them, the disciples, to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, or to the place called Gethsemane. It was on the Mount of Olives. There's a garden there. It's called Gethsemane. It means the olive press. It was a place, this garden that had olives. And these olives were noted for those olives where the oil of anointing came from. It was drawn from olives, olive oil. The anointing oil represented in the olive oil. But in order for us to receive the anointing oil, in order for us to draw the anointing from these olives, the olives had to be crushed. That's exactly how you get anointing. That is the recipe for anointing crushed, being crushed, the crushing, the brokenness. You want oil? You want the anointing oil? The anointing that was filling now the Garden of Gethsemane that night? It requires that we're crushed now. And notice this, the value now, uh, or the worth of the olive came after it had been crushed because it produced oil. Just like the value now and the worth in our spiritual life comes after we're crushed because it produces anointing. <laughs> and we don't like being crushed. But in the Garden of Gethsemane is where brokenness is needed for the hardness of our hearts and where God turns that pressure now into power. Anointing, crush now, pressure into power, the anointing oil. It's where He turns the problems into the petitions now at the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where Jesus went in the hour of difficulty. The hour of difficulty came here. It says that He went, verse 36, to Gethsemane and He said to His disciples, Sit here. Well, I go and pray over there. Now he's telling them that he's going to go pray. He's preparing himself in prayer with the Father. And he wanted now communion. He desired fellowship. He wanted it to be in a solitary place, in a place of solitude. He wanted to be alone. You see, in our flesh, we do not like what's taking place right now. That God's keeping us at home. But maybe that's exactly where He wants us. Because He wants us to spend time with Him. Because maybe we are so consumed wanting to spend time with one another. And He said, enough of that. I want you to spend time with me now. And He's keeping us in a place where we can go into the prayer closet and spend time with this book and say, Lord, I want to go into Gethsemane. And He tells the disciples, hey, sit there. I'm going to go and pray. In fact, in John chapter 18, verse 2, it said that Judas, who betrayed Jesus, knew exactly where to find Jesus. <laughs> it, said, it says here, John 18, 2, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. He knew where to find Jesus. It says, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. The Garden of Gethsemane was the classroom for the school of ministry where Jesus took his disciples. That was it. In fact, Jesus often went there alone. It said that He went up to the mountain and He prayed. What was on that mountain? The Garden of Gethsemane. And He spent all night in solitary now uh, place with the Lord in prayer. Verse 37, it says, And He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John. 
He took them now further with him, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, there's an anxiety building here. I, I love it where it says sorrowful and deeply distressed, because I know you felt like that before. I felt like that before. So it tells us of the humanity of Christ, that he was 100% man. He felt it. <laughs> There's a lot of times where people say, well, you know what? It's easy for Jesus to go to the cross. He was God. It, it didn't really cost them much. It cost them everything. He was 100% human. He was 100% man and 100% God. He knew exactly the pain that this was about to cost him. We hate pain. It's uncomfortable. For Jesus, it was uncomfortable. But he'd rather know that he was fully submitted to the Father. And he was compromising with the calling of the Father. Notice what it says here. Now, he was sorrowful and deeply distressed. He was now, it's going to tell us here now that he's going to now speak about his feelings, Jesus. And he's going to start to agonize. Agonize. Write that word agonize there because he's agonizing in prayer. He is now wrestling with these thoughts and these feelings in prayer. He is agonizing. I love it when we can go into prayer and we can agonize. Because that's exactly where we should take our worries, our anxieties, and our pain. And the word agonize means, it, it means causing great physical or mental pain. Jesus was undergoing one of the most difficult and heaviest and painful times in his life. And it says here in verse 38, it says deeply distressed. And in verse 38, and he said to them, look at, look, look at this. And I just noticed this when I was studying for this week. And it really spoke to me because Jesus was so transparent with the disciples. You said that. Look what Jesus does. He said to them something. Jesus didn't keep back this pain that he was feeling. He was transparent with his disciples. He told them. He shared with them how he felt. And he said to them, my soul. <laughs> Notice this. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. You know what they received first? They, number one, they received now Jesus. He was opening his heart to them. And he's saying, notice, look at how I feel. This is how I feel, disciples. My soul. He didn't say I. He said my soul. Everything about me, the Lord is saying here. My soul is deeply Distressed, and my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. There was an anxiety that was building up here within Jesus. That was building up an anxiety, a pressure that was going to turn, be turned into power. That was building up in Christ. And it says here that He tells them now, So stay here and watch with me. This is a little further where He took... Peter, James, and John. And he says, stay here and watch with me. Do you know what that it sounds like coming from Jesus? Please write this. It sounds like an invitation. <laughs> How awesome is it that you get an invitation to watch and stay awake with Christ? There are a lot of times we get so excited because we get an invitation somewhere to spend time with someone. But think about Jesus taking you as in his inner circle and saying, I'm going to invite you to go a little further with me. And I want you to know, number one, I'm opening my heart to you. I'm exceedingly sorrowful. I'm undergoing this pressure that I cannot describe. 
But I, I want to invite you to pray with me. And the Lord wants to invite you right now, tonight, to pray and fellowship with Him. This is here, the disciples, with Christ in the school of prayer. And you know what He's saying? Stay here and watch. The word watch means be vigilant. Be vigilant. Understand what's taking place. Stay awake. What does this mean? He doesn't want them to go as to fall asleep. <laughs> vigilance. Vigilance is needed in prayer. In fact, if you do not have vigilance, you do not have prayer. And the reason why a lot of us fail in prayer is because we fail in vigilance. In fact, vigilance means I'm awake because I understand the importance of being watchful. Vigilance means that there is an urgency behind why I'm awake. And when you lose urgency in your spiritual walk, you know what you also will lose? You will lose a desire to pray. When you lose the uh, urgency. But it, it says here that he was undergoing all this pressure because he could not bear he could not bear the separation that the Father and the Son would take place. That He would take the punishment for our sins and for all humanity, the burden and the judgment now from past, present, and future sins. It was the full divine cup of fury He would have to drink and the wrath of God. He was going to have to take that cup and to drink that cup. And it said that He was going under this pressure that He could not describe. It was sorrowful and exceedingly distressed. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it tells us this, and He was in agony. And agony, it says, and He prayed more earnestly. He prayed with fervency, with passion. He prayed with fire, now it says, and His sweat became like gray drops of blood falling to the ground. Why was it that he was going under so much stress and pain? He was doing this because he understood that he would exchange his place. He would exchange the place of righteousness with sin. He would go to the cross and he would now take on the judgment and the wrath of the entire world now and exchange now our sin, He will take upon our sin and give us His righteousness. In 2 Corinthians verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, it tells us this, For He made Him, God made His Son, Him, who knew no sin, who was perfect and holy, to be sin for us, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. That we might be right with God in Jesus. He made Him. Who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. He took our judgment, He took our sin, and He gave us His righteousness. That's a tremendous exchange now that was all prompted by the love of God. Notice that's what this is what's taking place. It is justification now at its finest, just as we have never sinned. And in verse 39 it says, And he went a little farther and fell on his face. Notice what Jesus does. He goes a little farther and he prays alone. A little farther now and he starts to pray. Notice that he leaves James and John and Peter by themselves. And then he has to go a little farther. Why does he have to go a little farther? Because he wants to be alone. Because he desires to be alone. Nobody ever wants to be alone. But he wanted to be alone with the Father and he falls on his face. This speaks about surrender. He goes face down. And what's important about this posture in verse 39 is that he fell on his face. This was demonstrating the position of his heart. 
You know why we kneel? We don't kneel because God wants to see now an outward now declaration. No, we kneel because it's an inward, it's an outward expression of what's taking place in the heart. And that's exactly what he was doing. This was demonstrating the position of his heart as he's falling to his face, as he's desperate now for the Lord, and he's going to do one thing here. He's going to cry out. There's nothing more than what, his, what the Father wants, that the, what the Father desires, than when His children cry out for Him. Do you know that the Father will never ignore a child, his son, his daughter that is crying out to Him? And look what He says as He's crying out. He went a little farther and He prayed. This is amazing. As He fell in His face, He prayed, and this is the prayer. Oh my Father, look at that. Do you see the anguish in the voice of our Lord Jesus? Oh, my Father. It wasn't just my Father. It wasn't a casual prayer. It was a prayer that was pleasing to God. Oh, my Father. And then he goes beyond that and he says, if it is possible, because he understands the price. He understands the cost. He understands that judgment and wrath and sin, he will have to carry the burden of all of the judgment of our sins. He understands it, and he says, Oh, my Father, if it is possible. You know what this is telling us? That he's considering the cost here. He is considering the cost in prayer. You know what prayer does for us? It allows us to consider the cost of the cross. In prayer, you learn to do one thing, to embrace the cross. To embrace now the will of God. To say, Lord, if it is possible. Look what the Lord is saying here. If it is possible, let this cup. What, what, what kind of cup? It was the cup of indignation. It was the cup of wrath. It was the cup of judgment now. If it is possible, if I don't have to drink it. If we can do this another way. He says here, if this cup can pass from me. Can this cup pass from me, Lord? Can this price be paid a different way, Lord? And this is exactly what he's saying. Can this price be paid a different way? Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless. And this is where he starts to submit. This is where the, father, where the son now is submitting. He's expressing now his submission in prayer. Nevertheless, not as I will... But as you will. Just imagine how our prayer lives would change if that was the prayer that was coming out of our hearts. Lord, everything that you send my way, not as I will, but as you will. Lord, you're changing my schedule that not as I will, but as you will. The Lord had plans. The Father had plans and the Son was submitting to the plans of the Father. How are we submitting to the plans of the Father today? Look at this now. Prayer. He's saying, Lord, your will. Jesus was interested in the will of God. Whose will are you interested in today? This Passion Week, whose will are you interested in today? Because there are a lot of times where we want our will instead of His will. And in this, and this is the pleasing prayer to the Father because it's a submitted prayer. It's a surrendered prayer. It's a prayer that is aligning to the will of God. It's a prayer that's, that's centered around the will of God. What does prayer do? It gives you a heart for the will of God. 
And this is the heart of Christ, the will of God. It aligns your heart for the will of God. And this is exactly why victory was won on his face at the garden because he was saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. There's a lot of difficulties that we're going to be facing that we are facing right now. Many trials, tribulations, anguish, agony, deeply distressed. But when you go into those times, do you take all that feeling? Do you take it into the prayer closet and say, Lord, here at the garden, the garden of surrender, the garden of obedience, the garden of fellowship, I want you to know, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That is a life that is given over to the will of God. A life, not just a prayer, a life that is given over to the will of God. In the New Living Translation, it says this, He went a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. <laughs> and what, what is it that we talked about even last week when it comes to the will of God? God does not ask for your permission to do His will, nor does He need it. But if you want to be used by Him, you're going to submit to it. Are you submitting to the will of God? The best place to submit to the will of God is to know, Lord, I want to win that battle. The battle over the flesh. And I want to choose your will. And the only way to choose your will is if I choose prayer and if I choose obedience now. Because in prayer is where I get the strength. The strength for what? This prayer is where we can get the strength to say that. Lord, not my will, your will in our flesh. We don't want to say that. In our flesh, we're weak. We want to fight against the will of God. But in prayer, you get the strength from the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, your will be done. Verse 40, let's read on. It says, then he came to his disciples. Look at what happens here because this is important. This was the hour of prayer. This was the hour of prayer. This was the prayer meeting. And he came to his disciples and he found them. Look at He found them sleeping and said to Peter, Now I want you to ask yourself, how will he find me? How will he find me when he's spoken to your heart? When we're sitting in front of the television, the phone or the computer, and he's saying, I want to spend time with you. How will he find you? Will he find you in fellowship or will he find you distracted? Because he found them doing something. He went out looking for him. The Lord Jesus went to look for the disciples. He is now going to monitor the church at the hour of trial. The hour of trial was coming. And it was going to change the disciples forever. You know if the hour of trial will change your prayer life? It, it should. In fact, that's why it's there for to awaken the church from sleep. He found them sleeping. He found them sleeping when they should have been praying. He found them sleeping when the church when the, when they should have been praying. Has the church been sleeping when it should have been praying? Has the church been sleeping so much that the Lord is saying, "I need to wake up the church so that they can start to pray?" He found them sleeping. And it says here, and he said to Peter, what? <laughs> Notice how Jesus is almost raising his voice with that, with that exclamation. Could you not watch me three, one hour church? Could you not stay awake? Could you not be vigilant for an hour? 
know what the problem is? You lost your vigilance. You lost your urgency. It's not important as it used to be anymore. The desire is gone. You lost it. Could you not watch? Could you not stay alert? Could you not be awake? Could you not be vigilant for an hour? He confronted them about their discipline of prayer. I really believe during this season the Lord is confronting us. He's confronting us about our discipline of prayer. And, and, and what happens here next is, is amazing because these are the dangers of a sleeping church. I want you to write that down. There's a danger that happens in a sleeping church. There's a danger in the sleeping man or woman of God. Are you a sleeping church or are you vigilant when it comes to prayer? The sleeping church will never say your will be done. The sleeping church will be so consumed with itself that it will forget about the will of God. In fact, the sleeping church will think they are a part of God's will when they are far from it. Because they're asleep spiritually. They have become comfortable at the garden. Notice what happens here because it says here in verse 41, and he tells them, he exhorts them again, watch and pray. Be vigilant and pray. Be urgent and pray. Notice here the danger. Here's the danger. Here's the warning. Jesus gives us a warning. I love this about Jesus because he gives us a warning at Gethsemane. I want you to watch, stay alert, and be praying so that lest you enter into temptation. <laughs> you see what the danger of a sleeping church is? The sleeping church, the dangers of the sleeping church is that it will enter slowly into temptation. And the church has been sleeping for so long or for such a time that it is slowly entering into the temptation of compromise and leaving the place of prayer for the place of production. Because we're interested more in what we can produce than how we can pray. We're in love with activity instead of with agony. And it's important here that we notice this in verse 41 that he's warning them to be vigilant so that they do not enter temptation. You will either enter temptation or you will choose to enter into prayer. Which one is it going to be? In fact, when you feel and you sense and you know you're being tried and you're being tempted, you can make a choice. It's all about making a choice. It's all about what you decide at the Garden of Gethsemane. Will you enter temptation or will you enter into prayer? And he tells them, he reveals to them now their own weakness. He reveals to them how weak they are and how much they need prayer. Well, some of us say, well, I'm good. I pray enough. No, you don't. <laughs> and look how he reveals to them how much they need prayer. I love this about Jesus because he said, you guys think that it's okay for you to sleep. Understand this. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, your spirit needs it. Your spirit, you would say your spirit is willing. But guess what? This is the reason why you need it. Because your flesh is weak. And you need spiritual strength. The only place to get spiritual strength is in prayer. I think it's very interesting how we try to supplement prayer. And we decorate the church with all these things to make it look like it's anointed. Or our lives 
But we're like the disciples asleep, spiritually. If you want anointing that takes place at the garden, if you want that anointing, you must take care of the flesh. Do you know why the anointing doesn't come? Because of the flesh. Because there's too much flesh and there's not enough spirit. And the anointing will not come to anoint the flesh. God will not anoint a carnal work. He will not do it. He will not anoint someone that is sleeping. That's why it's needed here on, 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 on Passion Week at the Garden of Gethsemane, at the surrender. That's why it's needed that the church receives an awakening to prayer. An awakening. You know what he's telling them? Watch and pray. You know what he's saying? Awaken to prayer. Awaken to prayer. Don't be addicted to sleep. <laughs> Don't become lazy. Don't become indisciplined now. Go into prayer so that you don't enter temptation. And look at this. He's giving, he's telling them, you're given into the weakness of your flesh because you're neglecting now prayer. You're absent from the time of prayer now. When this is the greatest weapon to resist temptation now because the flesh is weak. And you know why he's telling them this? Because he's preparing them for the spiritual warfare. He's preparing them to carry the cross for themselves. Do you know that nobody can carry the cross for you? Nobody. No one's going to carry the cross for you. The only way that you can carry the cross, the only thing that's going to carry the cross with you is prayer. With you, the Holy Spirit. Everyone must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow them. And the only way that's possible is if we go into prayer, preparing them, he knew that these disciples were going to be persecuted. They were going to be tested. They were going to flee. They were going to be tried now. He knew Peter was going to deny him. And you know why Peter denied him? It wasn't because he was scared. It was because he was asleep. Do you notice the difference? Let's read here now verse 42. It says here, and again, a second time, he went and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father. He prays again in verse 42. And he's praying the same type of prayer. Oh, my Father, if, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, if this is what you have for me. Now notice this. If you have the, 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 the heart to say, Lord, if this is what you have for me, then your will be done. If this is what this season that you have for your church, then your will be done. If this is what you're going to send my way, Lord, then your will be done. If I have to go through suffering now a little bit for a season now, then your will be done. There's a lot of times where we go through, oh, that suffering is the will of God, then I don't want the will of God in right now. And when was the last time you said, Lord, if, if it's suffering that you want for me now, if that's your will, suffering for my life, denial of self for my life, then your will be done. Notice how he says that in verse 42 again, he, he goes and he prays a second time saying, Lord, if this is what you want me to drink, the cup of wrath and judgment, your will be done, not my will. It's all about the will of God. Prayer is all about the will of God. That's why in the Lord's prayer, he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life, in my heart, in your home as it is in heaven. And then he goes on in verse 43 and says, then he came and found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy now. He found them sleeping again. For, for now this, this time again that they were sleeping. Why? Because they were tired? Because they lost the discipline. They lost the discipline. 
And notice that he goes on verse 44, so he left and went away again, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. He prayed again. I love this because Jesus is showing us in all of his humanity how he's wrestling with this now calling that the Father has placed before him. This was a decision. This was a choice for victory now. A third time, praying the same thing. You know what it talks about? Enduring faith in prayer. Well, Lord, this is tough. I want to endure the cross. I want to endure the cross, Father. So I'm going to spend time in prayer and go back to it. Do you want to endure the cross? We should endure the cross. And the only way of enduring the cross and having enduring faith is through consistent prayer. The third time, consistent prayer. He was surrendered regardless of the cost of his obedience. It didn't matter how much it was going to cost him. He was surrendered. He was willing. He was all in. He was fully willing. That's exactly why he said, it's not my will, it's your will to be done. He was aligning now his desire, his decision, his obedience to the will of God. And then he says here, verse 45, and he came to the disciples and he said, are you still sleeping? And notice this, he's talking to the church, to the disciples, to me and to you. And he's saying, church, are you sleeping and resting? Oh, I need my rest. There's one thing you don't ever rest from, and that's prayer. There is something that you do never, and I beg you never retire from, is that your prayer life. Because you cannot afford that. It's going to cost you too much not to pray. Notice he goes on, he says, Behold, the hour is at hand. He was praying because there was an hour that was going to be at hand. Because how many people are found unprepared in the hour of trial? But the hour of trial comes and then they go to prayer. When the hour of trial came, Jesus was already in prayer. And that's exactly why he was able to endure the cross. Because when the hour of trial came, Jesus was at the right place. And at the right time, he was saying, Lord, your will be done. Notice, it goes on verse 45. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. You guys have been sleeping when this is a very crucial and vital time. The hour is at hand, he says, and I'm about to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And look what he says here. Rise. Rise. Circle the word rise. You cannot rise, be, you cannot rise if you're sleeping. In fact, the only reason... Why he could rise, Jesus could rise, was because he was already on his knees. There are times that we want to rise and do a work for the Lord and stand and be bold for the Lord, but we haven't spent time on our knees, but we want to spend time on our feet. And Jesus here told them to rise. It's so important here because if you don't want to fall into temptation, if you don't want to fall in the hour of trial, then you have to just stay on your knees. It's the best safeguard. He tells them, rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Let us go. 
And you know what he's saying, let us go? He's stepping into it. He's stepping into the will of God. He's stepping into obedience. He's stepping into fellowship after spending time in prayer. You know what our prayer should be? Not only should it be, Lord, your will be done. After we pray that, we should also pray, Lord, wake up your church to prayer. Wake us up to prayer. Because if we don't ever spend time in Gethsemane, how will we ever get to Calvary? There's a lot of us that want to get to Calvary, but we never make it. You don't make it at Golgotha because you failed at Gethsemane. Can we ask the Lord today, Lord, I want to make it to Golgotha because I've spent time at Gethsemane. Would you pray with me tonight? Lord, your will be done. Lord, I truly believe that what you're doing right now is you're waking up the church. You're waking up a church, the body of Christ entirely, and the church is. Those that love production, I pray, Lord, that they would repent to love prayer. That we wouldn't be called Calvary by name, Lord. That we would be called Calvary because we spent time at Gethsemane. And we learn what it means to die to self. And say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. A church that is about the will of the Father. Lord, to wake up your church to prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, Amen.